Welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast, the show that helps you to reach more people, help more people, and build the life you want to live by doing more than therapy. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Shabnam Berry Khan about her business, PsychWorks. Shabnam is a clinical psychologist and a member of Do More Than Therapy, who I've been wanting to come on the podcast since I met her on a coaching call last year, because she works in an area of psychology that I really didn't know much about, and it sounds really exciting. So welcome to the podcast, Shabnam. Yeah, thanks, Rosie. That was uh, lovely. Um, Yeah, thanks for being here. Actually, um, it's it's a really nice opportunity to to talk a little bit about sort of an area of um, the application of psychology that um, I think people may have some misconceptions about um, and or may just not know an awful lot about. So I really um, appreciate the opportunity. So thank you. Yeah, I'm really pleased that you're here because, as I mentioned, as a member of Do More Than Therapy, I had the chance to kind of see some of your work and you were on the blogging challenge and I could see some of the stuff yeah. that you were writing about. But really, I don't think I'd ever heard of case management before, even though I've done, I've probably done a little bit and been managed by a case manager when I look back at it, because I've done a bit of um, treatment work um, mm-hmm. for medico legal Uh, the medical legal system Um, but yeah I really didn't understand anything about how that system works it's been fascinating to get to know you a bit and I think you've got a really great example of a niche because I believe that you're the only psychology-led case management service in the UK is that right I I think we are Um, not by design I have to say Um, as many great things you know may 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 be uh you know maybe may may have come down that pathway but very much so um it's very unusual to find psychologists in the case management world it's not like I'm the only one there are a number of us uh, a small handful actually but um you find that people are either case managers or they are psychologists and what we've tried to do is kind of combine the two so um the the thing about the case management is that I fell into it anyway. So um, accidentally um, having felt very oppressed, you know, in a sort of NHS role and thinking that, oh gosh, is this what clinical psychology is all about? Um, so that took me about a year, year and a half to work out, oh, <laughs> this is very different to what I thought it would be like. Um, and uh, I saw an advert in a BPS magazine, uh, one of the BPS publications um, at the time saying, you know, would you like to be a case manager? And I thought, do you know what, I'm just going to do it. Um, and I was working in a neurodevelopmental service at the time. So it felt like it wasn't a massive leap into what is sort of brain injury. Um, a lot of personal injury clients are brain injured. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are talking about some some very sort of neuro-based interventions and thinking about um people in a very sort of systemic way um and I um I just thought I'm going to do it found out I was really my friend my colleague and I uh, were the only two psychologists really doing it and psychology was so misunderstood I think it's probably the best way to describe it in the case management world um, because I guess because psychologists don't tend to, to, to do case management because the, I think traditionally it's come very much so from a, a background of a practical, functional, physical um, rehabilitation. So a lot of case managers are OTs, mm. uh, physiotherapists, 
um, you do get a number that are sort of social work, have a social work background, speech and language therapists, but not really anything that is like what we do in terms of our training. So when we joined, there were quite a few questions around, um, you know, how can a psychologist be helpful? And I'm thinking, how can he not be helpful? Um, you know, from the individual to the system, working with carers, thinking about the professional network, holding all those dynamics that we know from the research does very much so facilitate or indeed impede the process of rehabilitation. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think I can see so clearly how our mm. skill set would be really valuable for that mm. system. Um, but let's go back a couple of paces. And could you just describe, you know, what case management is and yeah. the people that it's there to help? Sure, that's a good question. Um, and I sometimes, I, you know, often I think I know what the answer is. And then I think, oh, gosh, it's actually more nuanced than that, or it's more complex than that. So on in a very brief uh, description a case manager is someone who supports the client through their personal injury journey their personal injury journey is one that has altered their life so significantly that pretty much every aspect of their life needs some kind of input so a case manager supports that package of care and therapy very broadly speaking in order to achieve those rehabilitation goals the twist on that is that you are working very much so within that medico-legal framework. So you are very much so in touch with uh, solicitors. If it's an unsettled case, which means that the solicitors are still building the quantum, the financial claim element of the case, um, what that uh, you end up working very closely with them. Um, in the event that the case is settled and there perhaps is a deputy, so someone who's holding that claim money that has been a, a awarded, it's a horrible word, but awarded to the client, um, you then end up liaising with them very much so about what is required and why. So there's a clinical element in terms of justification, in terms of um, being able to demonstrate the progress, the progress that the client would have with that support. Um, and there's an element of sort of the people management, if you like, of it. The care teams, they're in place and they need to know what they've got to do. Um, there's uh, multidisciplinary teams that need to be um, uh, chaired and uh, the input that they provide and the minutes that you create as a result of those meetings and, and um, interactions need to be fed back in a way to, a, to the legal folk so they understand what's going on either to support the claim being built up or to know that the money is being spent sensibly mm, so that's the element isn't it which seems yeah. a bit different because I think you know yeah. when you describe the role you know having worked in learning disability mm. it's kind of reminding me of the case coordination care coordination yeah. role key worker I think as some people used to be called yeah, yeah. it was different in several different teams yeah. I was in but but basically a person who oversees the package of care and checks yeah. that it's it's meeting all of the identified needs and I remember when we were a bit resistant about taking on that role um, and I was particularly resistant was about costing things up mm. uh, because that felt like something I wasn't equipped to do and of course mm. sitting in an NHS job you're really not equipped I had no idea um 
especially you know I was band seven I was like right I literally don't have a clue how much it's going to cost to do this or that or the other and it felt like something a social worker was better equipped to do than me um but is that is that an element of the work that you've sort of had to develop over time there is an element of costings for sure um but it's not perhaps as uh, you might imagine it to be in terms of um you know kind of getting it right and getting it to the penny so the pre- there isn't a lot of pressure to um uh to be able to um i guess come up with that costing for that package of care and therapy but there uh, because you're often advised by um the expert witnesses so that's a, a, an important distinction to make as well that we you know that case managers um are the work we do is shaped by those people who have the expertise and the specialisms to say okay I've met the client albeit for two three hours something like this um I think for the lifetime of this client they need a b and c across their lifetime and at the stage that they are now you would go to that part of their report and say right okay they're recommending a b and c so the costings are part of their report what you have to do as a case manager is very much so find the right fit for the client and to try and work within that very basic uh parameter that the expert has suggested but of course they're not on the ground so they don't necessarily know that what they are recommending is appropriate or um, it may not be as, as, as easy to implement for various reasons. You know, COVID is a very good example. Everything mm. has been thrown. Costings are all over the place. Mm. Um, your job as a case manager is, is, is that very basic, um, uh, you know, adage of you have to just communicate it. You have to say, look, we're working with a speech and language therapist, for example, and this has happened. It's been really tricky. Um, you know, I, I appreciate that the costings are going, are going to be different as a result or the, or the costings are not necessarily different, but they're going to be lagged in a way. So, you know, they're not going to start for three months because of the circumstances that the family are in. So as long as you can communicate what's going on on the ground to those um, who are very much so pushing the paper around about the client, you are, you know, you're doing your job. Um, they might come back to you, those lawyer types may come back to you and say, oh, could you get some costings, you know, and, and a better time scale? Fine, go ahead and do that because you've been instructed to do that. Um, and while it's, so while there's an element of proactivity, there is also some direction from the legal teams. So you know what you're doing. You're not left alone really with it. But it, but it is, you've got to have a little bit of savvy about it, I suppose. But you, you pick that up as you're going along. Mm, that just sounds, it sounds really fulfilling. And actually, you know, thinking about it, if I was in that horrific situation where somebody I cared about had been badly injured, knowing that there was somebody like you with your background sort of putting together that package of care and overseeing it would be hugely reassuring. Because, you know, from the clinical side where I've seen it go a little bit wrong, um, it's because the human side has been missed sometimes in the package. Um, So I'm thinking of a client that I provided some psychological treatment for, um, had had a horrendous injury. And she was very young, she's only about 18. And the family were living in poverty. And my therapy room was only accessible by two buses and she couldn't afford the bus. Oh, 
Mm. Um, and it's obviously pre-COVID, so none of us had figured out how to do this particular type of work online. I doubt she would have had the tech anyway um, to have been able to access it. But that, that made the treatment inaccessible for her. And I went back to the solicitor who um, had instructed me and said, look, I, she can't afford to get here. Can you release any more money? And I just didn't hear back from them. Yeah. And it, yeah, that's the kind of thing which I'm like, that would not have happened if Shabnam had been there. <laughs> no, it wouldn't have, frankly. But actually, even anyone in a sort of coordinating role would have heard you because that's the beauty. As a treating therapist, you go to someone who isn't exactly the person holder who is almost an objective other sort of overarching viewpoint person who can say Mm. actually that is valid that is necessary and I would support that request you know from Dr Rosie because it is absolutely vital and we need to do something about it they're more likely to hear what's needed uh you know and to to do what what's required um because I think solicitors are they 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 are they do want to do what they're meant to do which is help the client get back to the life level that they would have had had it not been for the injury um and some are so passionate about it um which is amazing but I think that human elements that you highlighted is exactly what I think we as psychologists can very much so bring to the table. I'm not saying that OTs and speech and language therapists and physiotherapists and the likes don't have that human touch, but for us, it's so second nature. It's so inbuilt in any clinical work we do. As soon as someone has a need, an emotional need, we switch into place and we just get it. And we're able to see beyond that emotional need to perhaps the impact it's having on parents or partner or siblings, often the other victims of this whole process, sort of unheard victims. I just think it's, you've got to be able to hold all of that in mind. And, you know, on again, on a very basic level, we know that if family functioning is affected um, by anything, um, and certainly something as big as a personal injury will absolutely be a big thing that can impact on family functioning you can you're not going to get the goals that you want it's going to have an impact on you as a treating clinician it's going to have an impact on you as a case manager and certainly the legal folk are not going to be able to get the best claim they can get for that client so your role as a case manager with a psychological background with psychological training is absolutely crucial to in my opinion, in in terms of getting the absolute best and the broadest of need that this client has, that any client has, really. Mm. So you mentioned that you started out doing this work in an employed role. How did that evolve into the business that you have now? Yeah, I I was actually an associate for um, a case management company, quite a big one from the research I did at the time. Um, and um, I learned an awful lot with them, I have to say. Um, but it gets to a, I think it gets to a point where you think, gosh, um, bigger organisations in case management, as I understand it, um, they are often led not necessarily by the client's experience and the client's needs, um, much more by sort of admin structures. So um, in the same way we've got Ofsted for schools, we have CQC, which is the Care Quality Commission for case management now. Mm. It's a relatively new thing, but some of the bigger organizations have already had CQC 
uh, registration for a number of, of years and I joined an organization that very much so had that it was there was lots of paper pushing there was lots of um, needing to understand the client on paper which is massively minimizing um, it just doesn't capture all of the nuances and the the softness of the work that you would do in you know with a client who has such significant and widespread trauma in its entire family system mm. um, and for me I, I remember feeling quite um, uh, I, I just felt like that's not really the that's the practitioner I want to be um, and I um, as it happens, I was running the, the psychology side of the business. So PsychWorks Associates was born while I was an associate still um, at this case management organization, because, you know, as I was sort of talking more about psychology, I was getting kind of more referrals, which was brilliant, and kind of felt like I was really doing a good thing for case management, getting psychology known and, you know, value out there in, in this medical legal world as a treatment, as opposed to, as we've said before, expert witness work. Um, and it, it just, it really just occurred to me that if I want to be the kind of clinician I want to be marrying up the psychology, thinking about psychology in case management, I've got to, I've got to be my own thing because there isn't anything like me as far as I could see. So, and that's, that's kind of the background to it. Um, so PsychWorks has now got an extra branch of case management, um, so psychology informed case managers. And so we've got a sort of um, double thing going on, it seems. <laughs> Again, not necessarily by design as such, but um, it sort of really works. And people Yeah, and it, and it sounds like a design. It sounds like you knew what you wanted to see in the world and you tried to create it. And I, I think, you know, in psychology business school, that's the thing that I've encouraged yeah. people to start with. Like if you could create any change in the world, what would you create and kind of work with that as your vision uh, yeah. and make sure everything you do makes sense? And yeah, it sounds like that's exactly what you did. You were like, the world should have psychology-led case management yeah. as well as psychology treatment. So I'm going to create a job for myself where I get to do both. <laughs> yes. Yeah, ultimately, absolutely. It feels very authentic to me, which obviously is, I know that's the, the bottom line in some, many ways of the psychology business school, that, you know, you've got to smell what sells for you without at the risk of sounding a bit like Alan Sugar. Um, <laughs> you know, what makes sense to you? Um, and yeah, it took me a while, I think, to get there. But that was a confidence thing, I think, as much as it was a sort of trying to piece it all together to make sense um and to you know understand how it fits with me and my values but it really um it really has been you know accidentally by design then <laughs> if you like yeah I mean I was going to ask that actually on an emotional level mm. um I kind of a lot of the professions that you're mixing with I imagine are a little bit more self-assured as professions. I think clinical psychology often has imposter syndrome sort of baked into it. I've yeah. never really met a psychologist that doesn't struggle with imposter syndrome. And I think as a profession, we do. So yeah. what was that like kind of coming in and having to hold your own with professions like, you know, solicitors where they really seem to know who they are? <laughs> Yeah, or certainly are very good at wearing a suit and pretending to give the impression that they know. Uh, it's, re it's really, um, it, it was tough at the beginning. You do, you know, feel that 
sense of inferiority uh, or, or give them that, that sort of position of power and, and superiority. Um, and I've got to say, it might sound a bit sort of, um, yeah, it might not be the right thing to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, but I um, gradually started getting invited to networking events. Lawyers are really good at that. They've got a lot of money. They hang out in the city. It's all very glitchy and glamoury, you know, kind of painting, handed around. So I thought, oh, I'll go to one of those, although I'm absolutely... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I don't drink, you see. So this is a this is tricky because, you know, I'm thinking, oh, you know, what my what's my thing to like get me relaxed a bit? Didn't matter. Everyone was pissed, <laughs> you know, and they were telling me their family story, their personal family stories. And they were giving me hugs and kisses. And it was so nice. But it was it absolutely brought down that sense of anxiety about this field um actually they're just human as well and the more you get to know them you realize that they just want the same things as you do you, they want to do the best they can do for this client they want their client to say gosh that was a lovely you know um solicitor that I had that you know he was really or she was really you know human and down to earth and um you know they they just got me as a person and and they don't necessarily know how to do that actually because they are you know, they have this sort of um, image that the profession requires of them. So, same kind of problem in a way, you know, we're trying to break out of our sort of shyness, if you like, and they're trying to kind of break out of their sort of formality in order to just be human and be themselves. And, you know, again, from a psychological, uh, being a psychologist and having that understanding and just being able to allow that space to be real, I've had some amazing conversations with solicitors and when I first, you know, when you first read their credentials on LinkedIn or something like that, you think, oh my God, they're a partner in a really big firm. I'm just little me. But um, yeah, I think if you're able to present yourself in that human way, it's amazing and how, how quickly um, solicitors join you. They, they're desperate to join you there. Mm. Um, and it helps them with their clients. Um, so yeah, it's, it isn't easy all the time, but I think again, that's the managing that imposter syndrome and, and, and I think you just have to kind of throw yourself in it a little bit and do a little bit of reframing and a bit of, you know, uh, you know, the, the usual sort of, um, thought challenging that we do, um, to, to realize actually that they're, they're, they're all right. You know, I love, I love that because it's yet another reason that we should all go networking. Yeah, um, because I do. I I feel like I harp on about this a lot because I think it helps you with marketing. I think it helps mm. you getting to know the people that you're trying to to help. And and I know we've talked about um, when you were doing the blogging challenge. You know, yeah. who are you writing a blog for, and what yeah. problems do they face? And you were mentioning, you know, oh, they have problems with clients not coming to appointments and not acting in their own best interests, and those are the things which stress them out and worry them. I was like, well, yeah. of course, you're really useful for things like that. I can really imagine them having a beer with you or beer and a soft drink and, yeah. and thinking through kind of, you know, how do I help this person? How do I yeah. help people that struggle with at attending or maybe people who are intimidated by my office? And yeah. so many ways in which we could bring some really useful informal insights. Absolutely. Jargon busting is a massive one. Mm. I think solicitors almost get caught up with the sort of legalistic way to explain the funds and how to, ma you know, how they're managed. And 
I mean, money in general is a topic that sort of shuts people down. But when you're explaining it in terms of this massive claim that is being built and we've got to get it right um, and the spend has to be, you know, under, you know, justified and it has to be um, accounted for pretty much to every penny um, by the by the by the specialists at the league on the legal end. Um, yeah, a client is just not going to engage with that. So, uh, and and the, often they think, well, I've said it once or twice at least to this client. How are they not understanding how to budget? And I'm thinking, well, you know, you can look at it in different ways, really. You could look at it as, you know, jargon. You could look at it from a CFT model. Mm. You know, they're talking about the trauma and it may well be that spending is um, part of their sort of maladaptive soothing mechanism. You know, it's... Uh, there are so many ways to unpick it and I, I see how you're doing it but maybe this is a different way of doing it here are some tips mm-hmm. <laughs> actually on, on the back of that that is um why I set up a um a personal injury case managers community on yes LinkedIn. I was going to ask you about that because I know that you're looking for more case management associates at the moment is that right yeah, well, actually, either or, to be honest with you. Um, yes, if people want to join our case management group, it would be amazing because, like I say, we are a bit of a niche. Um, and equally, if people want to are interested in kind of being, you know, getting their sort of creative juices flowing in what is effectively, you know, very broad range um, private practice um, within a medical legal field, not answerable to the court I just like to make that clear answerable very much so to the clients and um, the solicitors who then have to be answerable to the court that you as a practitioner do not have to be um, you know we're very very grateful and willing to talk to people who who might have that interest it's a really great way to get into the private field you know you don't have to have a clinic space you don't just need to have your basic insurances in place and your ICO and all the stuff that you talk about in your business school Rosie set you know set the basics up paperwork wise and the rest we we cover um, including supervision um, uh, and you know that medical legal specialism so you know you're not ever left alone Um, I'm very happy to put you in touch anyone who's interested in touch with associates who do work with us Um, but yeah but the um, that sort of psychology angle um, not only applies to sort of solicitors, it also applies to case managers um, because, you know, they're often caught in the middle of trying to liaise with a, a deputy or a, a litigating solicitor who wants to form a relationship with a client and you're the sort of in-between person. And if you don't have those psychological um, ideas about you um, it, it can make the relationship a little bit strained you know avoidance you know you talk about you, you hear often case managers saying oh yeah it's that client calling again and it's not like I don't have that feeling sometimes but I you know I, I feel like I've got skills that can help me navigate much more competently through that perhaps but um, the the group that I've set up on LinkedIn is very much so to invite case managers um, and eventually I think it probably will broaden out to anyone in personal injury to think about how psychology and psychological thinking can be helpful to that very basic idea that when you've got a good therapeutic relationship whatever your field is um, you pretty much can achieve whatever your goals are um, however which way you're going to go about it because the relationship counts for what 80 percent of um you know the sort of success um you know success factors so 
you know um, I can just imagine that, that being so valuable because when I've worked in a multidisciplinary team and been like the psychologist mm. often a lot of the value it comes at those like water cooler moments doesn't it when, yeah. yeah when somebody has just come off a difficult phone call and you know understandably their threat systems in play and they're like why does that person just make my life difficult and you're like let's think about why they might make your life difficult like what what could that be about that isn't because they hate you (laughs) 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 or it's those kind of like reflective moments and Mm. if you can provide an online space for that for people who are working in this field but maybe don't have access to psychological thinking yeah that sounds so so valuable for people yeah I, th- I think so and I, I hope so I mean it, it does to me and I think it's it but I can see if you've not been trained you know grown up in it as a professional you can find that probably quite scary so mm. um, I'm taking a very gradual approach knowing full well that I don't want to scare anyone away but um, dropping in that idea of being reflective and that's okay and being sort of um, I suppose honest to yourself not necessarily to everyone else but even if someone goes away from reading a post in the LinkedIn group and thinks well actually I'm yeah that that's probably true for me a little bit so I'm not going to declare that openly in the group yet or ever or whatever but actually just it's a personal thing it's a very private thing for a lot of people and I think um, I suppose the case management world doesn't really have that built in because there Mm. isn't a case management qualification there isn't an MSc or a you know anything actually that case management can hang its hat on that says you know that is us that is what we do and everyone kind of gets that um it's it's very much so a sort of make it up as you're going along um and people you know there are obviously um professional bodies like the British Association of Brain Injury Case Management or um, the UK um, Society of Case Management um, who help shape and think about professional standards, but there isn't an academic route to it. So um, so very much so there's a license to kind of give what you've got um, because at some point it will be useful. Um, and I suppose I'm, I've, I've learned that and, and I'm accepting it and I'm running with it. <laughs> which is just brilliant to hear I wish more mental health professionals um were able to see how valuable they are in Mm. routes that are not necessarily the one they envisaged when they started training I think you know probably you like me hadn't heard of case management when you were doing your training (laughs) um it just doesn't come up does it that we have a route in our minds that we expect to travel um but actually sometimes when for one reason or another and for, for many of us it is frustration um mm. with the system that we're in you start to look more widely actually yeah. there's so many ways that we can have a big impact and it sounds like yeah. y- your business really does have a big impact for a lot of people um, so thank mm. you so much for letting us in on the secret <laughs> of um, <laughs> case management because I think a yeah. lot of people listening to this won't have known about it before oh, and I'm sure yeah. that there are going to be people that really want to connect with you after this. So what would be the best way for people to find you if they do want to connect with you? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm on LinkedIn and that's where I'm hanging out these days online. Um, so I'm Dr. Shabnam Berry Khan um, and uh, our website is a good way to get hold of me. Um, and that's linking both the case management and the psychology um, work that we do. So that's www.psychworks.org.uk. Um, and I guess uh, on there is our contact details. So rather than say them now, I 
very much so urge you to have a look at the website because it, it does it can answer quite a few questions perhaps or, or reaffirm some of the things that I've said so brilliant and I will link to all of that in the show notes as well so everything will be there you just need to I've been trying to describe to people actually how to find the show notes because I've realized that not everybody knows where they are so if Mm. you're in your podcast app then you just scroll up um and the show notes shall appear (laughs) and that's where all these links are that I refer to (laughs) um yes I realized my husband didn't know where they were the other day and I thought actually if you don't know there's probably lots of other people that don't know so swipe up and you shall find the show notes (laughs) okay it's been a real pleasure thank you so much Shabnam thank you Rosie thanks for the opportunity before you go I just wanted to check something out with you because I don't know if this is just me But do you sometimes wake up at two o'clock in the morning worried that you've made a terrible error that's going to bring professional ruin upon you and disgrace your family? (laughs) I'm laughing now, but when I first set up in private practice, I was completely terrified that I'd miss something really big when I was setting up my insurance or data protection practices. Even now, three years in, I sometimes catch myself wondering if I've really covered all the bases properly. And it's hard, no, actually it's impossible, to think creatively and have the impact you should be having in your practice if you aren't confident that you have a secure business underneath you. But it can be really overwhelming to figure out exactly what you need to prioritise before those clients start coming in. So I've created a free checklist plus resources list to take the thinking out of it. Tick off every box and you can see your clients confident in the knowledge that you have everything in place for your security and theirs. You can download it now from psychologist.drosie.co.uk forward slash client hyphen checklist and the link is in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Business of Psychology podcast. If you share my passion for doing more than therapy, then make sure you come over and join my free Do More Than Therapy Facebook community, where you can work on getting your big ideas off the ground with like-minded psychologists and therapists. I'd also love it if you could leave this show a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It will help more of the people who need it to find it. See you next week for more tips and inspirational stories to help you do more than therapy.